Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Hello. Ni I'm going to just start by praying. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here. Right now, would you open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you open our hearts and our hands so that we receive everything that you have for us right now? Lord, I just want to give this time, this talk to you. I pray that anything that is of me would just fall away and that your word would take root in our heart and bear fruit. Amen. Okay, so here's a question to get us started. Um, If you've ever been in a job interview, how long do you think it takes the person, the recruiter, to make a decision about the person who's walking in the room? Just rough guess, anyone. How long? 20 seconds? It's less, in fact. 15 seconds. Um, What about dating apps, those things where you apparently swipe left and right? Do you think it's more time or less time than that 15 seconds of someone to make a decision where they think they want to go on a date with somebody or not? Lower, 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 you're right, it is lower. Do you know it takes no more than six seconds for men and women to make a decision about whether they're going to swipe left, swipe right. Do I want to go on a date? Do I not want to go on a date? Now, another question. Are those judgments good judgments? No, someone's with me. (laughs) They're not good judgments because they're based on really superficial information. But the challenge is that actually, as human beings, we are really hardwired to make judgments. We are doing it all the time. It's a necessary part of being human. The problem is that actually we're not very good at making those judgments. We're limited by our own perspective. We're limited by our own preferences in ways that we perhaps might not even be aware of. And we live in a world where the society, the media is telling us things about how we should make those judgments. They're saying, this kind of job is better than that kind of job. Living in this kind of place is better than living in that kind of place. This kind of lifestyle is more attractive than that kind of lifestyle. What you wear, the shampoo you use to wash your hair, all of those things, especially if one of those things costs more money than the other one, is better than something else. The passage that we're going to look at today in James's letter tells us very clearly that is not the way we should be living as followers of Jesus. So we're going to read this passage together now. It's going to come up on the screen or you can just listen if that's easier for you. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in, and you show attention to a man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You sit over there or sit at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, 
Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you keep the royal law found in scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a hard-hitting passage. And in this passage, James is pointing to a problem we need to avoid. It's the problem of favoritism or treating people in different ways because of our personal prejudice. And this is not just a problem for the early church. It's actually a challenge for us today in three ways. And as I work through them with us this morning, I'd like you to imagine that God is giving us all a health check and just going, how are you doing? How are you doing? How are you doing well? But how do you need to make some changes? And so we're going to start by thinking how we see people. We're going to think about how we step out towards others. And lastly, we're going to think about how we're shaped by Jesus' love and how we show it to others. So our first health check then starts with our eyes. How do we see? So here we have something that's going to help us, I hope. I've got two bags here. I hope for those who are watching either afterwards or right now, you can see my two bags. Okay, so one of them looks like it comes from an expensive shop. So which one do you think comes from the expensive shop? This one, this one. Okay. Now, if I was to say one of these is a gift for you, which one do you think you might be most excited about getting? Yeah, honestly, the truth is I'd be a little bit more excited about this one if it was coming to me. But let's look and see uh, what's inside them. Actually, would somebody like to come and see what is inside them? Anybody want to come and help? Now you're shy. Oh. All right, I will look inside the bags. Gosh, I've got more terrifying than I thought. Okay, so inside my nice expensive looking bag, I have a £10 note. And inside my slightly tatty, greasy, grubby looking bag, I have a £10 note. Inside both, the gift is the same. And the gift, the note, gets its value not because of the bag. It gets its value because of the image that's on the note. It gets its value because it has the image of the ruler of the nation on the note. It's as if James is saying to us in this passage, friends, you've got it all wrong. You are judging based on this, when actually 
this is what really matters. What you think of as the basis for value is not the currency of God's kingdom. His value system is completely different. God's vision for you, for me, is that every single one of us is made in the image of God. And that is where our value comes from. And each one of us, every single one of us here in the room, listening online, not listening, no idea that this talk is even taking place, each person must be treated with the dignity and the honour that this value entails, not on something so superficial as an external appearance, not as something so superficial as what you're wearing, the colour of your skin, the shape of your body, where you live, or how much money you appear to have or not have. And the language in that passage that we read is so strong. You know, James is saying that when we're making judgments based on outward appearance, we're actually becoming evil. We are sinning because what's happened is that we've let the world determine how much spiritual worth someone has. And it's not just that we've got a value system wrong. You know, I can't walk into a shop and say, I'd like to pay using my bags, please. And when we, go, we get it and we go, like, that's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine? It's the wrong, wrong value system altogether. It's actually that that value system is really damaging. Now, I don't know if you have ever been in a city that is polluted in some way, where you've seen like the air quality in a city get polluted. Well, actually, that pollution makes it hard to see. You get smog or you get kind of like that horrible haze. You can't see properly. Actually, some of our other senses might not work so well. We might not be able to smell properly. But actually, when you're breathing in that polluted air, we get sick. It damages us. And it's the same thing here, that when we let the world's view determine the value that we're giving ourselves and we're giving people, we're also breathing that in. And we're also damaging ourselves and other people. The Christian author and teacher Greg Boyd says that these judgments, the ones when we're using the bag, keep us from doing the one thing we were created to do in relation to other humans namely to love them the way that God loves us. And instead, when we get our value system tied up with the wrong thing, what we end up doing is just allowing ourselves to get into points of comparison and competition. And then maybe we get jealous or insecure, or maybe we might get a little bit puffed up and proud and smug, or we might put other people down. <sighs> You know, I can sometimes catch myself having this little commentary in my head about other people. I tell you, it shows up worse when I'm tired. It shows up worse when those other people are doing something that irritates me a little bit, especially when I'm driving or I'm trying to get parked. And it's like, oh, you know, what kind of person do you think is driving that car? And those little moments where we catch ourselves, God is saying, don't breathe in that stuff. It's not good for you. <laughs> And it's not good for other people either. In his letter, James, James is not just showing us the problem. He is also pointing us to the solution. And that is to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our role model. He shows us how to live in a way that gives the right 
value to people. And we can see that all through his life, where his heart is consistently towards the poor. He starts his ministry saying, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to who? To the poor. And he tells us not to judge other people and not to kind of show off and show how much we have and then put down others who, are little, who have little. In Luke 21, he tells a story of some of the people who came into church and they were putting their collection into the treasury. And the rich people put in some and the widow comes in and she puts in just two very small copper coins. And it's the widow that he praises, saying, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And Jesus, all through his life, he was consistently reaching out to people who were either on the outside or excluded or seemed to have little. He was bringing in people who were lepers, blind beggars, women who were outside the community. And for a Jewish community to whom James's letter was written, they would have known that caring for the poor was really important. For example, there are verses like this in Proverbs, where it says, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. And if we look at the early church, we can see that practical generosity meant there was no hierarchy between those who got lots of money and those who had little. Those early believers sold the property and possessions they had to give to anyone who had need. And when we look at more recent examples of where God's spirit is poured out, what we can see are new communities emerging that really are counter-cultural. So the Azusa Street revival took place in 1906 in America. And at that time, segregation was still in place, which meant that um, there was a social and economic system that were keeping some people up and other people out and down because of their race. But what the Azusa Street Revival is remarkable for is not just because of the miracles that God did, but because there was this new community where both African-American and white American women and men were all worshipping together and ministering together and the Holy Spirit was poured out with miracles on them all. Now I'm, I'm longing for God to do something like that in our city and in our country. Ah. Oh, I really want many, many people from every possible background to know Jesus. And we need to be ready as a church that welcomes everyone without our judgments or our personal opinions getting in the way. And that means that we're all kind of a work in progress on this front. So I'd like to encourage you to do something practical this week. I want to ask you to pray and ask God to show you where you might be judging other people, to get him to help you listen to your thoughts. And when you catch yourself judging people, pray a blessing over that person instead. Okay, so our first health check was how we see. Our second health check is about how we have responsibilities to each other, and we need to think about how we step out and close the gap. So favoritism is more than just an individual issue of our own personal opinions about somebody else. 
it gets rooted in and then results in systems where we have a really unequal world, where we have some people who have more and they keep increasing their position at the expense of others who have less. But God's vision for human flourishing is not that we should walk past or ignore those who are in need. And it is definitely not that we should step over or step onto those who are in need. It is that we should close the gap closed, caused by social injustice. I want to unpack this by thinking a little bit about what the biblical view of justice is. So the Hebrew word for justice is the word mishpat. Can you say the word mishpat? Say it to the person next to you. Okay. So you can say the word, but what does it mean? So mishpat is the word that in English Bibles you will see translated as justice. And it means that you should right wrongs. So if I steal something, I need to give it back to them. There was a point where I thought this morning I was going to need to take one of these from my mother's purse. I did not take this from my mother's purse. <laughs> but if I had, I should give it back to her afterwards. Mishpat, the biblical view of justice, means more than that. Tim Mackey in the Bible Project, he says it means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So instead of having a really unequal system, mishpat is a say, way of saying we need to close the gap. We need to level out that injustice. And our passage today shows us what this looks like. James says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And this echoes many, many verses through the Bible. So in Proverbs, it says, open your mouth for those who cannot speak for themselves. In Jeremiah, rescue the disadvantaged. Don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, the widow. And the Bible is full of this because God does not show favoritism. In Deuteronomy, it says this, for the Lord your God is the God of gods, and he's the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. He shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. In his letter, James is mentioning two groups of people, widows and orphans. And these two groups are important because they represented the two most marginalized and pushed aside classes of people in his culture. They had no legacy, they gave no legacy, they contributed nothing, and so society pushed them away. So in ancient cultures, if you were a widow, you were really vulnerable. Not only had you lost your husband, but you had also lost your financial support, you had also lost legal protection. And often that meant that these women who were widows were targets for abuse. It meant that they were socially isolated. Some of them would even have been trafficked into slavery. They had no one to speak for them. They were unprotected. And although James is talking to a church hundreds and hundreds of years ago, actually we still have huge injustice and we still have groups like this today. So who are those groups today who are vulnerable, like the widows that James was talking about? Who are the people who are forsaken, who have no protection, who have no voice? 
And what is God calling each of us to do about this? Well, maybe for some of us, it will be to get involved in compassion ministries that are organised through our church. So you could uh, grab a bag to um, help with our food bank. You could get involved with Grow Baby. You could get involved with City Pastors. You could get involved with wider initiatives happening in our city like Restore, who support refugees and asylum seekers. And I know, I mean, just looking around the room and thinking of other people in our church community, there are so many people who either volunteer with or lead charities who are working with lots of other groups too. And I would really love us to pray for you at the end of the service today. And for all of us, wherever we live and whatever kind of job we're doing, whatever sector you work in, so maybe there are people who are working here in healthcare, in education, in advocacy, in the law, maybe you're in the creative industries, whatever life stage you're in, whether you are still at school, whether you are working, whether you are in a season where you are not in paid work, we all can offer the skills and positions that God has given us to step out and to close those gaps caused by social injustice. So who are the groups that God wants to lay on your heart? And what is one step that you can take a little bit further to meet their needs? And these gaps of social injustice, the difference that we see, it doesn't just happen in our country, actually it happens globally all the way through to nations. So here in the UK, we actually live in one of the top 100 countries in the world in terms of wealth. And when we look globally, we also need to think about the widows and the orphans who are in other countries. So the world's poorest countries, places like South Sudan, Burundi, Somalia. Now maybe for some of us, and I know for some of you in the room, you have been called and you are stirred to go to those places and to make a difference. Maybe for some of us that's actually not possible, but what we can do is to find out about organisations and charities who are working in those countries. So as a practical step, um, we're going to put up on the screen a list of just a few charities, and I could have had loads more, so this is just a starting point. Um, You can either take a photograph of this if you want to, um, or if you don't have a phone, um, there are copies of my talk at the back, um, and you can take a copy, and all the details are on there. So the Delitzo Trust works in Malawi, um, Great Lakes Outreach works in Burundi, Tear Fund works in at least 50 different countries, the International Justice Mission work also right across the world working to end modern day slavery. So here's another practical point for you. This week, go and find out about one of these charities, one of these countries, and see what you can do. Now, I don't just mean if giving money here, although if, that's if, you want, if that is what God is asking you to do, do it. But it's about praying, it's about learning, it's about educating and changing our perspective and how we act in our day-to-day life. And that matters not just because of these countries that are somewhere out there, It matters, actually, in terms of very practical things like what we buy and where we might bank and and, um, put our money. Um, I know this is a tiny bit of a head, but could you put the picture of the flip-flop trail on the screen for me now? Thank you. So this picture on the screen here was created by um, a a professor, um, Professor Caroline Knowles, and back in 2006, she started to investigate something she called the flip-flop trail. So... Flip-flops are the world's best-selling type of shoes. They look like this. Um, Maybe I'm not the only person in the room who owns a pair of them. And what she did, what this map shows you, is all the places 
and all of the people who are involved in making these things. So it starts with where the raw substance is mined. So thinking about where the oil comes from, actually out in Kuwait, and where eventually things like this end up in landfills in places like Ethiopia. And what she pointed out was that actually understanding where things like flip-flops and actually um, the, um, things like our phones, they don't come to us ready-made. The way that raw substance is mined, the factories where items are assembled, the way products are disposed of them, all of these can sometimes exploit vulnerable groups of workers. And it's not just flip-flops, it's not just phones, it's actually what we eat, what we wear, where we bank. So as another very practical step, um, during this next coming week, don't just find out about a charity. Here's another thing you can do, is to go to the Ethical Consumer website, um, and here is a link to it here, um, if you, and if you want to take a photograph, or it's in the notes at the back, and look through this. I mean, it is really, even vitamins, right? Even the stuff that you take, they're all involved in kind of the way that production works, we need to think about the widows and orphans that are behind the hidden background of what we buy, what we consume. So think about one thing that you could do differently, perhaps over the coming months in terms of how you shop for things. All right, so we've looked at how favoritism can be a problem in how we see people. We've looked at how favoritism can cause this inequality and we need to step out to close the gap. Both of those things are quite outward-looking. They seem like they're quite external and they are kind of out there. But actually, what James is saying in this passage, more than anything else, favoritism is a matter of the heart. And here is our third health check today. How are we doing with showing and being shaped by God's love? James tells us that favoritism is a problem because it goes against the law of love. He says, it is good when you truly obey our Lord's royal command found in scriptures. Love your neighbour as yourself. The king from whom we get our value. The king in whose image you're made and I'm made is the Christian God of love. We don't look after the vulnerable as an act of duty to earn his love we look after the vulnerable, we give dignity to each person, and we work to close the gap between those who've got much, those who've got little, because of his love, and because it shows people in its purest form what Jesus' love looks like. You see, Jesus came, God came to us in the person of Jesus. He did not stay far off from us. He came right into our mess and brokenness. And he didn't come as a big king in Jerusalem. He didn't come and sit on a big throne in a palace. He came as a tiny baby to a poor family who were at one point in their life refugees who didn't always have a permanent address. He laid down his life to the point of dying for every single one of us. And it's that love, that love that comes, that does not stay far off that we are called to follow. It's the love that gives 
us the compassion to reach out for those who have no voice, who are vulnerable, and moves us from compassion into action. And love is so important because the answer to the problem of favoritism is not just gritting your teeth and trying really hard and doing lots of good things in social action. If we don't have the love of Jesus and let it shape us and what we do, you can do all the right things, but actually do them in completely the wrong way and absolutely miss the point altogether. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. We're quite familiar with it, but let me read it to you so we get this. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And that last phrase, I gain nothing, actually can be phrased, I benefit no one, nothing. You can give everything to the poor and actually benefit no one. That's shocking and so makes us stop and take a deep breath and go, why? Why is love so central? Love is so central because it is absolutely the heart of the gospel. The good news of Jesus is not just that he came and he came here into our mess and he died for us. It's also such good news because actually we can't do anything. We have nothing. We cannot earn his love at all. The central claim of Jesus is that it's his actions and his mercy laying down his life for us when he died on the cross that triumphs over the judgment that we should receive. It is his actions and his love that put us right with God. And as as we start to learn how to receive that and to experience that love and mercy more and more, as we let it come to us, then we can let it go through us to other people. And maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. Maybe you've not following Jesus at all and this is really new to you. But for all of us, the good news is that Jesus' love is exactly the same yesterday, today, forever. And it is here for all of us. And all of us have got more that we can experience in terms of the height and the depth and the many dimensions of his love. So we're going to close in a minute. Um, and as we do this, I think there are maybe a number of different people in the room for whom God wants to just, well, actually, do you know what? For all of us, God wants to wrap you in his love. And he wants you to experience more of his love today. For every single one of us here, whether you're here in the room, whether you're listening online, whether you're listening to this some point afterwards, he wants to wrap you in his love. And if you've not experienced before that and you're going like, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> well, it's really simple. We just ask him. We just say, we can just pray. And prayer is just having a conversation with God and saying, God, I come to you and I need to know your love more. Please, would you show me? Open my eyes, open my heart so that I can experience your love today. Maybe for some of us here, you really need to hear how Jesus values you. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of having some judgments 
that have been hard. Maybe you have been walked over. Maybe you've been ignored. Maybe for some of us, we've actually been the ones who've done the judging. And maybe for some of us, we're thinking, actually, I need to change some things. Maybe that's just even thinking about how I purchase things. And the Holy Spirit is starting to say, I want to change that in you, not in a way that condemns you or pushes you down, but that actually sets you free in the middle of God's love. And maybe for some of us today, God is actually starting to stir you about those groups who are marginalized, who are vulnerable, who don't have any voice. Maybe for some of you, you are working in areas who um, you're already doing that work and you need God's love to bring about change because the truth is none of us as human beings, we can do our part, but we cannot do it all. So as we end today's service today, um, I'm going to pray for us that we would all experience his love in greater depth. And then I'm going to ask those of you who are either working with groups or charities or just in some way, well, let me pray and then I'm going to ask, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Lord Jesus, you are amazing. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you love us so much. And thank you that every single person is so, so precious to you. That without that person, the way that you want to show the image of you is not complete. That we are, every single person is so needed, so wanted, so loved by you. Right now, would you come, Holy Spirit? Would you open our eyes? Would you open our hearts? And help us know more of your love. Come, Holy Spirit. And for those of you who are listening online, I'm praying this for you too. It's not just for people in the room. So Lord, for every person, wherever they are, whether they're listening to this, would you meet us? Please, would you soften our hearts? so that we can experience more of your love. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.